You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to meet his brothers. As he was talking with them, he saw Goliath, the champion from Gath, come out from the Philistine ranks, shouting his challenge to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men were asking. He comes out each day. You hear that? It wasn't the first time. This happens every day. He comes out each day. And each day he comes out to challenge Israel. And have you heard about the huge reward the king has offered to anyone who kills him? The king will give him one of his daughters for a wife and a whole family will be exempted from paying taxes. Show me the giant. Where is it now? Somebody win. I mean, you get, you get the, king's, the, the king's wife and you get tax-free living for yourself and your whole family for the rest of your life. David talked to some other standing there to verify the report. David says, now, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and putting him to the end of the abuse of Israel? He asked them, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And David received the same reply as before. What you have been hearing is true. That is the reward for killing the giant. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you were supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. Isn't it interesting that there are some people who rise up to be changers, and in the midst of being changers, you'll always be confronted by critics. You are one of the other today. You're either a changer or you're a critic. You're either somebody who steps up to make a change in life or you're someone who criticizes the people who are trying. You're one of the other. And how many know it's a lot easier to be a critic than a changer? It's a lot easier to be somebody who sits back with no responsibility and talk about everybody else's irresponsibility and what everybody else ought to do. It's easy to be a critic. It's a lot harder to be the changer. And in every time you rise up, you are going to have someone, but every time you rise up, up to be the changer guarantee this you will have someone rise up to be your critic every time you rise up to be a world changer you will have someone rise up to be your critic and you've got to determine today that you've got to understand what those words are of the lord and i've had to learn this in life i can't spend time listening to critics because i've got to make sure i've got my ear bent to the one who matters the most because when he's got my ear then he'll confront me of the truth he'll convict me so if my critics are speaking truth then the holy spirit will convict me but if my critics are speaking lies i don't have time for the lies anyway so i might as well just not worry about the critics because too many times the enemy will use our critics to get us off of the real battle at hand. The enemy will use critics to cause you to fight the battle that doesn't really matter. You see, he'll bring those oppositions and those things in our lives and those critics that come along. Here it is that David, his brother comes along and he criticizes. And here's how David responds. He says, what have I done now? David replied, I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them. I liked it. It didn't say at all that he gave any more attention. He didn't spend any more time with it. He said, what have I done now? All I did was ask a question. And he left his critic behind. He walked over to some of the others and asked them the same thing. And he received the same answer. Then then David's question was reported to King Saul. And the king sent for him. I want you to hear this. This is a pivotal point in the story where things change. 
This is David being set up for his destiny. This is David being set up. He had already been called as the king. There's some of you, God, you know God has given you a word. God has given you something in your life to look forward to. There's a promise. There's something you're holding on to. And here it is. David had a promise that already that he was going to be a king. Samuel had come along and had, had anointed him as king. And David was in the waiting. And in the meantime, he's honoring the Lord. And he comes to this place and he asks the question. And there's another pivotal point where the king heard of the question that he was asking. David had gone to three different people and said, hey, what's that reward again for defeating Goliath? What's that reward they're going to get? Someone went to the king and said, hey, David's been asking about this reward. The king said, I want to meet that guy. And how many know that appointment of meeting that guy set up a life change, set up a moment for his destiny? Here's what the Bible says. David goes to the king. David says, don't worry about a thing. David told Saul, I'll go fight this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can go out against this Philistine. You are only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. But David persisted. There's that word. He persisted. He pressed. David knew how to be persistent. There is something in us that David had a confidence. How many would recognize that David is now speaking to a king? He's a young boy. He walks in the presence of the king. He says, hey, king, don't worry about that giant. Everybody's been running away from I got this. I mean, wouldn't you think of David and somebody along the way is going to say, man, he's pretty cocky. He's a little too confident. He's, he thinks a little bit about himself, you would think. But here's the difference. You can have confidence in God, but when you have confidence with God, you can stand up to whatever the enemy brings against you. There's a difference, though, between having confidence in God and arrogance in yourself. That's the difference. If you've got confidence in yourself, that's not confidence, that's arrogance. But if you've got confidence in God, that word confidence means to be partnered with or connected with, that when you have confidence, you can have a confidence that you know you will be victorious, you will overcome, because your strength doesn't come from you. You have a confidence in God. David, David wasn't here standing with an arrogance in himself. He was representing a confidence in God. And we, when we have a confidence in God, we can face battles a lot different than when we recognize or we try to have an arrogance in ourselves david comes along he says i'll take care of this he says don't be ridiculous you're just a boy but he persisted verse 34 he was persistent i have been taking care of my father's sheep he said when a lion or a bear comes to steal the lamb from the flock i go after it with a club and i take the lamb from its mouth if the animal turns on me i catch it by the jaw and club it to death you know just small things I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. Listen to the faith and the confidence that David has. David says, this battle is already won. It's already over. I've just got to walk in it and allow God to accomplish it. I'm not standing here wondering if God is going to go before me. I know his word. I know that when I honor his name, he will go before me and bring me victory. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. That was Saul's best way. Good luck, kid. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. And if you remember this story, you realize that Saul gave literally his armor. Saul was a six-some foot man who was, who was very tall and David a young boy. And here it is. What are the chances that Saul's armor would fit David? Not likely. And David walks around. David says, this doesn't fit. I'm not used to it. So he takes off the armor. And I love putting that picture together that sometimes we have to take off the expectation of people. 
Because people expect us to do things a certain way, to win a certain way, to have a certain thing. And there's expectations of people, and they can become weights on you that hold you down and keep you from being a real, real fighter for what God has. And you got to lay aside those expectations. What David do? The Bible says that David said, I'm not used to this. So he took off the, the armor, and he went to the stream, which represents the presence of God. Like the deer that pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O oh God. He went to the place of God's presence where he would meet with God in times where he probably spent time in the presence of the Lord. He picked up five five smooth stones and he took those five smooth stones and you know the story and as he take those stones he comes out and he takes his stones his slingshot and a staff his staff is what he used to take care of the the animals the protection and he comes against and Goliath says who am I a dog that you send a boy with a stick to come out to me Goliath says I'm going to serve you up to the animals you're going to die but here's what David says in verse 45 David shouted in reply you come to me with a sword spear and javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head and then I will give the dead bodies of your men, not just yours, but the army that's come against you, this whole army. I'm not just taking on you, giant. I'm taking all the, all the other people that are behind you and I'm going to see victory come. He said, all the armies of your men will be given to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. That is a confidence. You know the story then. Of course, David goes after Goliath, comes after him. David takes the slingshot. He had done this before. He had target practice a lot of times. I bet there were moments where out in the fields where he had nothing else to do but sing a little song. And when he was done singing a little song, just take that slingshot and have some target practice. He made good use of his time. The Goliath is coming along, and he pulls out that slingshot. He winds that up. He hits Goliath. Goliath falls to the ground, and that wasn't it. He then goes over and takes Goliath's sword from him. And here it is, the young man David. Now Goliath is 10 feet tall. And so here it is, David takes his sword. I'm sure Goliath wasn't fighting with a kitchen knife. I'm sure it was something a little more. And David then takes the sword. David says, this is nothing. He takes the sword and he had to put some effort to it, I'm sure. And he takes Goliath's sword and he cuts off Goliath's head. Now I know this is a, you know, kind of yucky part of the story, but it's cool. Goliath had a trophy. He's showing every, or not, David had this trophy. He won. Do you realize that head of Goliath gave him a reputation? And it was that moment that David's name began to go throughout all of Israel. You see, before that time, it was David who? Son of who? Huh? But the moment David fought Goliath, there was an influential moment that his life became influential. And God used that moment that just spurred and changed everything in that situation. And his life was completely turned in that moment. The Bible says in, 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 in this text, of course, that David fought him, that he went, he cut off his head, and he was driven to win. Nothing stopped him. I want you to know today, whatever opposition is in front of you, God is using for your moment to prepare you for your destiny. When David fought Goliath, he didn't just win a good battle, he prepared himself for his destiny. I want you to think about this this morning. 
He didn't, just re, he didn't just set Israel free from their taunter. He didn't just deliver Israel. He didn't just win a battle. He made a statement and a stage in his life that prepared him for his destiny because it was that moment that he came in contact with Saul that, that, that he would worship and, and sing for Saul and he would serve in that place. But he had already, already had an interaction with Saul. But the moment he killed Goliath, his reputation and his influence went to a whole different level. You see, what you're facing today is not, the opposition that you're going through is not just an attack of the enemy. Yes, the enemy comes against you to keep you from accomplishing what God wants in your life. God has given you a dream and a purpose. He's called you for destiny. He wants your life to win and be influential. He wants to use your life as a father. He wants you to raise up children that will honor God. As a mother, he wants you to influence and to nurture and to raise up children. As a man in your community, he wants you to speak the truth of God's word and become an influence. As a woman in a workplace, God wants to use your life to influence and share hope. Those in whatever place and circumstance that we're in, God has a purpose and a destiny for your life. And with that, we have to understand then that the enemy wants to stop what God wants to do in your life. How many would understand and agree with that? And sometimes we give more credit to the enemy and we say the enemy wants to stop what God is doing. That's true, but there's something greater. This opposition you're going through, this difficult moment in your life is not just the enemy trying to stop you. It's also God allowing something to prepare you. I want you to think about that this morning. Because when it's more than an opposition, you realize there's something more to it. When it's the enemy trying to stop me, you'll have those moments you'll say, is this really worth the fight? But when you recognize this isn't just the enemy trying to stop me, this is God allowing something that's going to prepare me because this battle today is going to make me ready for what God wants to do in the future. He's going to prepare me and set me up. And when I understand today what I'm fighting is not just the enemy trying to keep me still, it's God allowing something to prepare me. And when I know that, here's why. Because I'm able to say greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't have my eyes on what the enemy's trying to stop. I have my eyes on God of what he's trying to produce. And I would much rather focus not on what the enemy's trying to hinder, but on what God is trying to release and make happen. And I know today that this opposition, that this struggle, this difficulty in your life is more than the enemy wanting to stop you. It is God allowing something to prepare you. And God is asking us today, will you allow victory to come in this moment in your life so God can make you ready for something far greater? He can lead you to your destiny because it was the moment David beat Goliath that set him up for something greater. In our lives, what is it that drives us? We've got to ask ourselves if we're up for this fight, to move in this, this battle, to allow this to be accomplished in our lives. I remember as a school assembly uh, communicator, we used to go and speak to students. There was, a, there was a, a line that we would use in challenging students to not live a life that is as good as it gets, but better than imagined. There's a danger when we settle for the life of this is as good as it gets. This is how it's always going to be. This is how it was for mom and dad. This is the circumstances in our family. This is how it's always going to be. This is as good as it gets. But to change that with this not isn't just as good as it gets, but having a perspective that says, I'm going to live a life that's better than ever expected. Better than I can imagine. Because I believe the one who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think that he can cause us to accomplish those great things in our lives. That he can bring about victory in our lives. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to take a look at what David's drive was. 
But Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance. Look at your neighbor and say, persevere. We got to press through. Now that you've said persevere, look at your other neighbor and say, what's it mean? While you do that, I'm going to take a drink. If you're going to persevere in this life, there are some times you've got to press through. How many have found out there's some times that having faith doesn't make everything just easy? Having faith means I've got to hold on with possibility. I'm going to press on. I'm going to press through whatever this circumstance, this moment, this season in my life, that I'm going to trust God. He's going to bring me into a place of victory. To persevere means to have a steady response, not giving up, to press on, to be steady in your approach, to be active. In this, in this purpose of driving on and moving forward, this drive in our lives. David had a drive that caused him to go from the, from the fields with sheep to on the front lines of a giant and seeing victory in his life. There was a drive. There was something that pushed him. What is it in your life that drives you? What is it that's driving you, motivating you, pushing you? You see, because we can wake up and the days in life can just be turned into another day. You know those moments where you wake up and you know the routine. And let's just talk about moms because not only is next week Mother's Day, just a reminder to you dads and children, next week is Mother's Day. But moms, there, there's something different about moms. I watch the mom in our house and she wakes up early in the morning to wake up the kids 10 times, and hopefully on the 10th time, they'll respond and come out of the bed that they've been called to. Uh, and, and I don't know if it's this way in your home, but moms are real gentle when it comes to waking up the kids. And when it's dad's turn to wake up the kids, because I, dad'll do it. <laughs> Dad doesn't do, you got one, two, three chances. Dad said, get up, get up, get up. I'll pull the covers off. I'll even dump the bed over if I have to. I mean, I said, get up. But there's something about moms. Moms come in, you got five more minutes, and then I'm going to wake you up. Five more minutes? I'm not coming back down in five more minutes. You're waking up. I don't have time to come back down in five more minutes. But moms have that gentle approach, and then all of a sudden, the moms are hoping they wake up the 10th time and going through starting laundry in the midst of all that and then getting ready for the day. And sometimes life can get so busy and so much that you feel like you just wake up tomorrow and do the same thing. And you've ever been in that mundane. I know you've been there. And you say, oh my goodness, it's another day. And sometimes living in that life of we've got more to do and it's just another day. But when you recognize the drive of what it is that's pushing you, it causes you to not treat it like another day, but another opportunity. When you know the drive that's pushing you, you're able to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. When you recognize the drive, it becomes something more than just allowing it to become another day. Can I tell you, a mark of a victor, a mark of someone who is winning in life is someone who doesn't approach the next day as just another day, but someone who, who approaches the next day as the newest opportunity to see something greater. If you want to know if you're winning in life, how do you see tomorrow? It's just another day. Tomorrow's just another moment to go through the things you've been doing. Or is tomorrow a new opportunity that the sun is going to rise on a new occasion, a new moment, a new time, a new day, and a new chance to see God do something greater. And you might say you might not see it all happen in that moment, but God's able to show you a little more tomorrow that it's a new opportunity and you're not just going to treat it like another day. So what's driving you? What is it that presses you? What is it that pushes you, that causes you to go on, that causes you to go without not giving up? David, looking at his approach, we can see five things, five ways that he answered the question that related to his drive. We're going to put them in these responses, in these five things quickly this morning. David, number one, he answered the why. He answered the why he should make that hinge decision or fight that battle. 
He answered the why. And here's what the why was for him. The why was something that went far deeper than just, oh, this, is, or this Philistine's becoming a nuisance. He had something far deeper. It was more than just, hey, you get a reward. What was deeper for him, the why, was there was a deep conviction that said, who is this pagan Philistine that is dishonoring the name of the Lord? And so David said, for the sake of God's name, I'm going to fight this battle. And his why became something far greater. You see, if you're going to make a change in your life, there must be deep-rooted reasons that will cause that change. If they're superficial reasons, you'll only change to the point where you feel like it's worth it. But when there's something so deep and rooted, it's called a conviction. When a conviction gets a hold of you, you can't quit because it drives you and pushes you further than you could go. Your reason becomes a deep-rooted conviction. You understand the deeper a tree's roots, the stronger the tree. The deeper the roots, the stronger the tree. I can have a desire. I want to work on my fitness. I need to get better. Let me tell you a couple reasons why I want to get better. Number one, I want to get better because I'm tired of the clothes fitting too tight. I want to get better because I'm tired if I have to bend over and pick up a pen that I dropped, some button pops somewhere and hurts somebody. It's a dangerous thing. I could, get low, I could get sued or something. I don't know. I, I want to get better because if I park down in parking lot B, I want to I be able to get to the church doors and be able to greet people while I have breath. And not. I can have all these reasons of why I want to get better, but you know the deep-rooted reason is because the Bible says that the body belongs to the Lord and I'm supposed to honor God with my body. Man. And it gets a lot deeper than, I just want to feel better. I want things to work out better. I want this to be, there's, those are good reasons. Those are helpful. But there becomes a deep-rooted conviction that says this belongs to the Lord. And for the sake of God's glory, I've got to accomplish this because it is unto the Lord. Let me ask you today, what is your deep-rooted conviction that's connected to your hinge decision? You've got to make a change in your life. You might say, the, the alcoholic might say, I need to get out of alpha alcohol because it's ruining my family. My relationship with my wife is falling apart. And he might say, for the sake of the relationship with my wife, I need to get rid of alcohol. Now we would say that's a great reason. But the only problem is he might have days where he's frustrated with his wife. And all of a sudden that reason doesn't seem good enough anymore. You can have a reason that's only justified for the moment that you feel that it's worth it. But then there's that moment when you take that, you dig a little deeper and the conviction starts to come in. It becomes something that you can't shake that. And when it's connected to your walk with Christ, how about the alcoholic wanting to get off of alcohol? Yes, for his family. Yes, for his wife. Yes, for his choices. All of those things. But the deep-rooted conviction to be a good steward of what God has given him to take care of his body. What about the finances? Yeah, you want to be out of debt. Yeah, you want to be able to, to not live week to week and all those things. But what about this deep rooted conviction. I want to be a good steward of what God has given me. There needs to be something that goes deeper than just the material and those things that could be surface and fading. There's got to be a deep rooted conviction. The why. What's the why that drives you? What is it that pushes you and sustains you? It causes you to grow even deeper and those things to take even stronger in your life. David answered the why. He had a deep rooted conviction. Your hinge decision whether it's your faith, your family, your finances, your freedom, your fitness, whatever those things, what is the, what is the deep-rooted why that you need to make that life change decision? You gotta have a deep root. David also answered the who. Who are you doing this for? Who is this for? Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 17. Because sometimes in life, listen what David was going through. There are those moments where you're holding on to a promise that God has given you and you're in that in-between stage waiting for God to bring it about. 
The Bible says of David in 1 Samuel 17, verse 14, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here's David knowing that he's anointed to be a king and going into Saul's um, uh, courts, his room, and David would sing songs to calm Saul down because Saul had a tormented spirit. Can I tell you that tormented spirit came because he gave more attention to what people thought of him than he gave attention to the battle that God called him to fight. Saul got off course and he, he allowed a tormenting spirit that came in and just, just took life out of him. David would come and sing to him and David would come and sing in Saul's courts and then David would go back to take care of his father's sheep. Now how many recognize there's a big gap between being the shepherd out in the field and being the next king in line. I mean, those aren't, you know, hey, every shepherd becomes a king. That's not true. I mean, there's a big gap between growing up as the shepherd's boy and becoming the next king. And David was in this back and forth moment. And here's what David had to understand. David knew that he was in a season of back and forth, but he wasn't looking at what his role was. He was looking to the one who he was serving. He knew how to be faithful in little things so that God could prepare him for the next great thing. He knew that his focus and his who in his life was unto God. David honored the Lord, and it was unto the Lord that he lived his life. He honored God when he honored God when he served as, his, as a shepherd in the fields. He honored God when he sang the songs in the king's courts, but in all occasions, he had a focus and he had an honor of God. You might feel like you're in those in-between moments, those back and forth moments that God is giving you a word and you're waiting for that word and those times where it feels like it's taking long, you keep your focus on being faithful unto the Lord. You keep your focus on the who because when you focus on the who, he'll bring you into your proper time because if you don't know how to be faithful in little things, as Luke, Jesus said in Luke, he said Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. If God can't trust you in the little things, we, we said to you, when David fought Goliath or defeated Goliath, that was a life change moment for him. That prepared him for his destiny. How many agree with that? I know it's true because the Bible says, thank you, Brian, for agreeing with me. It feels good to know that someone uh, agrees. <clears throat> but Brian, we're telling the truth. Here's why. Because here's what the Bible says, that everybody began to sing David's praises. Saul, Saul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. They began to sing because of his defeat of Goliath. It was a pivotal moment. It became a life change. How did he get to Goliath? Because someone said, hey, David's asking about the reward. The king said, hey, I want to call that guy in here. How did David get to that point? Because his dad told him to go check up on his brothers, right? Here's the point I'm making. David fought Goliath or defeated Goliath, which set him up to be known and made him ready for his destiny, all because dad told him to go take some cheese sandwiches to the brothers. Look what it says in verse 17. Take these roasted grains, these breads, and some cheese and take it to the commander. He said, I want you to take the bread and the cheese and the roasted grains. And David became faithful in delivering cheese sandwiches and set him up for the moment in life. In this moment, there's sometimes, I, I tell you what, I love it when I meet people who say, this isn't above me. This isn't too big for me. I'll serve God in any area because it's not about me. It's about the purpose that God wants to create and do in me and through me and around me. And there are those people who become servants and they recognize the who. What is it that's driving you when you know that the who is that you're connected to God and he causes you to want to glorify him and take care of little things so that God can cause greater things to happen in your life? You'll never be ready to face Goliath if you're not willing to deliver cheese sandwiches when dad says it's time to take some. Every cheese sandwich deliverer 
has the opportunity to be the next giant slayer. It may not seem right in the world's eyes. may not make sense in how the world makes champions. But when you honor and seek the Lord, when you put God first, when you honor him in little things, David answered the why. He answered the who. David also answered the what. What drives you today? He knew who he was driven for. But what drives you? You got to be real that sometimes rewards can drive you. What did David say? David said, now let me get this straight. What's the reward again for this person who defeats the giant? He asked on three occasions. In fact, it was his questioning that got him time in front of the king. He said, so what's the reward? Somebody said, well, someone, whoever defeats the giant gets to marry the king's daughter and has tax-free living for him and his family. <laughs> David said, hey, what's the reward again? Let me get this right. <laughs> David's a young boy taking, taking care of, of sheep out in the field. He says, this will save me some time on eHarmony and Match, Match.com. I can just, a little easier, just slay the giant. You get, you get a wife, a beautiful wife, and tax-free living. You know, sometimes, or not sometimes, when we honor God, when we walk with God, there are rewards attached to that purpose of what we do for God. I, it would seem carnal. Listen, it's not the why we do it, but it is a what that follows along. There are rewards attached. The Bible says in Hebrews, simply says this in Hebrews 4, 6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Bible says elsewhere that God is good and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. He knows how to reward. He knows how to bless. He knows how to give gifts. Do gifts and blessings always happen the way we want them? No. Does every prayer we pray happen the way we desire? No. And here's what a life that wins pushes us to say, God, when I believe that you can do this and you didn't do what I believe, I'm still going to believe you. Think about that for a moment. I, I know we can, be, we can be real good Christians and say, woohoo, amen, that's right. I want you to think about this. That God, I believe you can do this, but even when you don't do this, I'm not going to quit believing you. I believe that you can do this, when this doesn't happen, I'm going to keep believing you. When it doesn't go the way I've been praying, when it doesn't go the way I've been expecting, because in those moments, those can be easy times that will cause us to feel opposition, and which the moment we feel opposition, let me remind you again, that when you see it as opposition, you feel the weight and you feel like, okay, what's the point in trying? You ever been there? I've heard people say this, I've been believing God, I've been trusting God, and it doesn't seem to make any difference, so what's the point? In fact, I just heard someone recently say that. I've been believing God for a job and it's not working. What's the point in believing? I said to him, I said, so did your hope for a job rise the moment you quit believing him? Think about it. I said, what happened the moment you quit believing? Well, to be honest with you, I became depressed. Oh. So it got worse the moment you quit believing. So things don't happen the way you want and therefore it affects your belief but that affecting of your belief made things, didn't make things any better. Wouldn't you think that the moment you quit believing it should release you to have a new approach but instead it caused you to be worse? Hmm. Maybe we don't believe God for what we can get but we believe God for what he can accomplish in our lives. That we believe him for something far greater. And I realize, all of us here, well, that doesn't answer all the hard questions in life. That's, that's absolutely right. Because I'm going to stand before God and say, God, I don't understand a lot of things that you allowed to happen in life. 
God, I don't understand a lot of those things, but to be honest with you, by the time I see him face to face, it won't matter anyway because I will see him the way he sees me. The Bible says right now I'm looking through a glass dimly, but then I'm gonna know him the way he knows me and it's not gonna be a mystery anymore. It's not gonna be filled with questions anymore. It's going to be a full understanding and in reality, those things that I thought were big issues, when a moment I stand before God, I'm gonna say, God, that's nothing because compared to your glory and what I'm looking at today, what I thought was an issue, what I thought was a great, great uh, question what I thought was something so great becomes nothing because the moment I see him face to face it will change everything and in our lives what is it this what I want you to ask yourself this decision that you make need to make in your life what is the what the reward connected to it there's some rewards David answered the what he knew there were there were rewards connected with it David answered the how how will you reach this goal, this, this purpose, this thing in your life? Here's what David used. His confidence grew because of his history in taking care of sheep. David knew how to protect sheep, and he would defeat bears and lions. How many think that would probably give you a little bit of confidence? What David say? David said, I can take this guy. I used to take care of bears and lions. That, Don't think you're going to take care of the giant if you haven't been faithful with the bear and the lions. And the bear and the lions all begin with looking after the father's sheep, those things in our lives. Here's how David took care of the battle. He took care of the battle with with his history. Your history prepares you for what God wants to do in your life. That, That point again, that your opposition is not just the enemy trying to hold you back, but it's also God allowing something to prepare you and make you ready for your destiny and what God wants to do in your life. Your how is going to be looking back and saying what God has done in the past. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful to do what he's done in the, fa- in the past. He can do and make happen today. Your history is preparing you for this moment right now, this, this opportunity to fight whatever giant it is that's in your life and to bring victory to you. There's some of you, I'm looking around here today and, and just as I'm looking, I, my eyes could stop and set on you because some of you, you've, you've faced some big giants in the past year or so. You face some difficult moments. You've walked through some things. You've walked through some points in life and recognizing that God has been gracious and victorious. You stood in front of the greatest giant you've ever faced in your life and look, the giant's no longer there. And God says, I cause victory and he's preparing you for something greater. This just wasn't an attack of the enemy. It was something that God says, though the enemy comes in like a flood, I'll lift a standard against him and what was meant for evil, I will cause it to work for the glory of my name. He will. He will, and I am confident of this, that whatever the enemy would use, the enemy brings it in, that God will bring victory for his glory. Your how, how are you going to defeat him? By knowing what he's done in your past, he's faithful to do today. He's faithful to do today. David also answered the where. He answered where, and here's what the Bible says, that they were in the valley of Eshel, and as they were in this valley, in this place, think of the valley. What's the valley represent? And the moment you say valley, you might be here today and there's some of you, you're going through a valley right now. You're going through a difficult moment. You're going through life's trials. You're going through the, the, the frustrations, the difficulty. You're in, a, you're in a valley moment. But can I tell you, God never brings you into a valley to leave you. He brings you through the valley so you can learn how to trust him even more. You know where my trust is developed? When I have to really put it in action. 
Some of us don't. It's too easy to say we trust God. Then the moment you go through things, the moment you go through difficulties, is the moment you're saying, okay, God, now you're going to really teach me how to trust you. You don't just trust because, hey, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust because you've proven yourself true. He doesn't prove himself in the mountains. He proves himself in the valleys. He doesn't prove himself when everything is hunky-dory, A-OK. We got this. Because there's the problem. We got this. He proves himself to us in the moments where we say, God, I don't have it. God, I don't have the strength to trust you, but I know you do. God, I don't have it to get through this. I don't have it, but I know you do. Because when I know he has it, it's through the valley that he causes something far greater. So what's your drive? What's driving you today? Have you answered the why? Is there a deep-rooted conviction? Have you answered the who? Is it unto God? Is it to His glory? Have you answered the what? Have you recognized the rewards? That those, it's worth it. There are those things that we can trust God. Not for that, but in, 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 in line with those things. Have you answered the what? Have you identified the, the, those things in our lives that, that cause us to press on and to trust God? Have you identified the how? Your history, God's used you and prepared you for this moment. Have you identified the where? Right here in this valley, in this moment. The Bible says in Hebrews, lay aside everything that would hinder and the weight that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race that's marked out for you. What is it that's holding you back? You see this word freedom? Freedom means to be without restraint. Freedom means to not have anything holding me back, slowing me down. I took my car for the last month almost, uh, for about three weeks or so, I was... Uh, giving the church advertisement and that's because I was driving the church van everywhere I went. I was driving the church van everywhere I went because my car was in the shop for about three weeks. I finally get the car out and the guy says to me, hey, while I fixed this problem that took a lot of time (laughs) and if it takes time, it also takes money but bless the Lord, he's the provider of all things. I also found this other problem I kind of thought to myself, well, isn't that your job? I pay you to find problems, right? No, just kidding. He said, you notice when you turn the wheel and you hear that click, click, click? I said, yeah. He said, well, that's a different problem. I said, oh, I thought that was what you were going to take. No, that's something different. I said, so then my natural question after I paid the bill, so how long do I have before I have to take care of it? Are you like me sometimes? You wait for change to become necessary? I said, so how long? He said, oh, well, actually, you're fine. He said, the only thing is this. He said, the longer you keep driving it this way, it's going to tear more. And he said, it becomes a resistance and it'll just affect your gas mileage. You'll be paying more because you'll have less gas mileage because it'll become a resistant to your wheel. Let me ask you, are there some things, some tears, some areas that you've let go and they become a resistance to your drive? 
become a resistance and it's holding you back and it's taking more out of you. But here in this moment, would you say to God today, God, let your freedom come and remove every hindrance that would hold me back. I'm ready to have the drive to trust you and to move from this point to the next point. Can I tell you, you never quit moving from this point to the next one because I don't know when the next one for me might be that I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and I look upon him and I hear him say to me, this is my drive, to hear him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to your rest. That's what I'm waiting for. Because everything here is temporary. So God, what freedom do you need today? Would you stand with me all across this place this morning? I'm going to ask Ashley to lead us in this song. And in this moment, just before we leave, would you make this your prayer to God? Maybe you're tired, you're thirsty, you're hurting, whatever it is. Just allow that freedom, that resistance to be taken away today. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.